Hey, this is Charlie McCarran, reporting from the Hong Kong airport, where there's a lot of fun beeping noises going on. Uh, I just am in a little bit of a daze from a 15-hour flight from Los Angeles, and I'm looking out the windows of this airport at beautiful green mountains on one side, and beautiful green ocean on the other side. So I have a short layover here before I continue on with another long flight to Australia. So stay tuned for the Australian edition of Composer Quests. it to Melbourne and among all the traffic noise you're hearing uh, my first sign of wildlife that can't be found in the U.S. I don't know what kind of bird this is but it's kind of black and white but yeah I'm gonna I'm on my way to hang out with Martin Kingsley who's been listening to the podcast and he's right on the the ocean here so oh there's another bird I'm here in the apartment of Martin Kingsley. Hello. And, yeah. Martin, thanks so much for hosting me here. That's uh, okay. Yeah. Well, so we're on the 28th floor of a... We are, yes. The 28th looking, floor. Looking out over the bay, kind of? And then yeah, the, the port the port district of Melbourne. And beyond that, the ocean. Are you from Melbourne area originally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've lived here my whole life. I'm technically um, I was born just outside of Melbourne in a satellite town, a satellite town called Ballarat, which is um, a gold mining town. Um, it was the sort of centre of a huge kind of turn of the 20th century gold rush, um, oh. a bit like I guess California, and much like that. You know, of course, it petered out. But people still, a couple of weeks ago, someone found like a four kilogram gold nugget that's worth Whoa. like the best part of a million dollars or something out there. Oh so there's still, there's still, you know, the occasional big find. Well, you've been filling me in a little bit on what I should expect, like in Tasmania. Yes. And yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful place. Uh, there's no one there. Uh, it's full of kangaroos and other sort of the, the classic Australian wildlife. There are koalas, there are wombats, there are all the, all the things that one should hope to see. Uh, you're going to like an artist colony or something like that, aren't you? Yeah, like artist retreat place. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, it's, be... it's definitely that kind of place. It's, it's uh, a lot of undisturbed space and a lot of kind of like big properties that, you know, you can walk for ages and not see another person. So probably probably the only real place left in Australia you can get that kind of art done, I think. Yeah. So you work from home mostly. I do. Uh, doing, you run an IT business. I do, I do. I've run an IT business for about five years now and before that about five years part-time. And before that I got a film degree, uh, which oh, I don't, okay. ac- don't actually use. Um, as most soft sciences and humanities majors find out, these things not necessarily big money generators in the outside world. Yeah. How did you find out about Composer Quest originally? I've got a friend who lives downstairs who's uh, also... He used to have a band, and uh, I think he he may have trawled 
a music podcast list and found you and then I think he listened to a few of your interviews and it was good and then I, I I've definitely picked it up more than he has I mean but I think I think some of the the interviews you get are really 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 great um, I think the Syriac interview particularly really really tickled me oh yeah um, he's definitely you know right up there for me and so that was very um, it was very enlightening to actually find out what the process is behind that do you do some songwriting then yourself or um, a little bit uh, a little bit in the past, certainly when I was in university, there was there was a little bit of that going on. Um, so yeah, I, I tried my hand a little bit at that, never got anywhere beyond like fragments, and it's just for personal enjoyment and stress relief and things like that. I don't can't say I've ever composed anything with any sort of structure. Well, I kind of want to ask you the question chain question, mm-hmm. anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my last guest, disaster piece, asked. If you were going to compose for any set of instruments, what would you pick? It's, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Probably um, baritone instruments, like things like baritone sax or, or even like baritone guitar. Um, stuff with like a lot of timbre and, and like depth. And I think it would be interesting to, to play with those much sort of lower frequency sounds and see what you could sort of do with them. Also because you kind of get... My my experience, you get really interesting harmonics and things coming off of instruments that have got like really heavy strings, and they've made of they've got like a material composition to them that means that they behave slightly differently to the kind of thinner, more delicate materials that you use for those higher registry instruments, like your standard guitar or violin or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, what's your question for the next guest? My question for the next guest is, do they feel that they've lost or gained something in their musical career, like where they are now? Do they feel like they've got a lot to explore or do they feel like they've... they've they hit the peak. They, have, they, the... have they hit the peak? Where, hmm. where, where are they in their musical journey? Hmm, that's a good question. And is there something they would... Is there, is there something they would prefer to go back to or are they actually are they better off know where they are Hmm. yeah cool Uh, thank you charlie well yeah martin thanks again Spike Mason and his daughter Sarah. And Spike, where are we? Well, we're in Tasmania and we're heading to uh, our house where we live, which is in a very remote part of central Tasmania and a small town called Poatina, which has less than 100 people in it. And so we're just uh, driving through the countryside on a bridge at the moment, going over a bit of a flooded river. Well, I appreciate you picking me up from the airport. Yeah, no worries. Quick flight from Melbourne. Um, but you fly to Sydney, like, every week, right? Yeah, that's right. Apart from working as a musician, I also have a two-day-a-week job uh, teaching at a, 
at a school, so I'm the head of jazz at a school up in Sydney. So what was the reason you came out here? Well, when I first met my wife, we, you know, were talking about the sort of things we wanted to do in our lives, and she said she wanted to facilitate sort of artistic and spiritual growth in people and be an artist. And I said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And uh, this is a long story. Do you want the long story or not? <laughs> well, we got a we got a little bit of a drive. Oh, uh, yeah. I can give you the story. It's a bit, bit of a full-on story, though. Um, this is the real reason why we moved here. <clears throat> My wife had been doing a, a course about what you want to do with your life, and so she did some exercises writing exercises about becoming an artist anyway she had sort of a dream about this uh, building that was like a donut shape but a square building that had glass on the inside of it and rooms on the outside of it that surrounded a a garden an internal garden she sort of felt like that she was going to build this building and Mm. and and this was like an actual dream while she was sleeping yeah 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 that's cool when, and when we first met and was going out, she actually drew this thing down on a napkin when we, when we went on our first date and said, I'm going to build this building. And Anyway, it all sounded really cool and sort of the sort of thing that I'd like to do too. So we started hanging out. And um, anyway, what happened was about 10 years after we'd been married or so, some friends of ours moved down to this town in Poatina and they invited us to come down and lead the music workshops for their summer schools. So we came and did that and then we went home and then the following year we came again and the second time we came down we did a little jazz gig for all the people in the village and for all the people who'd been at the summer school and someone said to us, oh, we'll take your daughters away so they can watch a movie or something. So we did our gig and when we finished we said, oh, where are our daughters? And the lady said, oh, they're down this little corridor. Anyway, Lee went down this corridor and uh, she came back about a minute later and her face was just white. And I thought something had happened to the girls, so I ran down this corridor and I ran into a room that was a garden surrounded by glass and had rooms around the outside, which we hadn't seen the previous year because we hadn't been in the building. And because it's all internal, you can't see it from outside. And so once we saw that building, we just thought this is from the dream this is where we've got to be there's already a community here there's already artists here we don't have to build it we just have to come and do it so we sold up and moved here cool so that's 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 the reason why we're here yeah yeah. so what should i expect to see when i get there and on our drive i guess i should say too well on our drive we'll be going through lots of beautiful farmland a lot of the sheep have just uh, had their lambs, so you'll see lots of lambs jumping around and being silly. And, and then you can see these mountains up ahead. Well, we live a little way up them, so we'll start climbing up into the mountains. And then our town is on a little bluff. It's very small, got less than 50 houses, and it's uh, got an incredible view from it. So... We made it. Oh, yeah. We made it to Poatina Village. We did. We made it. 
And now we're going to see your daughter Sarah's horse. Yeah. Yeah, she's a lovely horse. Hey. What a beautiful girl. Yeah. Does she say want, want to say hi to the podcast listeners? Do you want to say something, lady? No. No. <laughs> no. She'll, she'll be yawning soon. That's about as close as you'll ever get a horse to that microphone, I would imagine. Just <laughs> <laughs> shedding everywhere. Mm. That's, that's the sound of a horse. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's Cyril. Hi, Hi Mike. <laughs> Come on, lady. Good girl. Oh. What sort of shoes have you got on? Come on. Good to see you. Come home and stop the rain. <laughs> 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 hey, Charlie, I have a little bit of a cold, so I don't want to get you This is Charlie. Sick. He's a, well, I suppose he's a friend. He's become a friend in the <laughs> yeah. past half hour since we picked him up from the airport. Oh, there, another one that's close. He's traveling around the world. Interviewing musicians and composers. He's got a podcast. That, yeah. Right, eh? Yeah. So he's coming to visit us for a few days. A good. So this is Cyril. He lives here in the... He's been working in the... He works down the golf club. Well, if you call that work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is hard work. I tell everybody. <laughs> Go away, boy. Junior gets a little bit excited. Yeah. And, uh, his, his ultimate aim in life is just to play. <laughs> Yeah. Should I get some dog sounds? Hey, buddy. Sounds good, man. Yeah. You can have a lot of animals on this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to find an echidna for you. Have you seen the echidna yet? I haven't. I know what they look like. All right. Well, we'll I've been I've been obsessed one. with Australian animals since I was like six. Oh, really? So it's true. Oh, that, man. I've well, always wanted to come here. Oh, well, there's lots here. There's everything here. Everything here, mate. <laughs> I haven't seen Honey any melons. echidnas about, but somebody said there was some the other day, but yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen, seen any of that for a little while. Do they just wander around? Yeah. Just yeah. Like little, oh, yeah, you'll they'll, see they'll them just all through the town. Hedgehogs or something? Across the road and just Spike, we're hanging out in your studio here. Yeah. How much recording do you do in here of yourself? Like, because you play saxophone. Yeah. So I can record here, and I do a fair bit of session work here. So, you know, as long as the birds aren't too noisy. (laughs) Um, What kind of birds are those? I thought it was a door squeaking or something. No, they're... They're birds. We get lots of the birds here. These are that's like I. Oh, I have seen that one. Yeah, yeah, magpie. Yeah. We get a, we get a lot of these wrens. It, you know what? It's funny that I'm actually looking at this because there's quite a couple of my pieces of music that are named after birds. Oh, cool. So I've got one named after the the wren. And then I've also got one named after the boo book. The owl? Yeah.
you know how I was telling you I'm in the middle of that 10 albums in 10 years project? This is an album I did called Separate Journeys. And what happened was um, a friend of mine was building a home studio. He actually built a one-story house for him and his family, but they built it one story up. So it was a two-story house, and the bottom story was just completely empty. And then he built a recording studio in the bottom story. Cool. So he basically, you know, had a one-story house and then just paid a little bit extra for higher walls. And at the time, um, my wife, Lee, and I, because we were working as jazz musicians in Sydney, we had sort of, I suppose, come to the point where we felt like we were always performing for people. There was always financial concerns. There was club owners. There was audiences. And we really wanted to just play music that was completely free of everything. So we invited people to come and play music with us, just improvising, complete free improvisation. And we found that after a while it would sort of fall into a key and it would fall into a rhythm and we'd just sort of groove along for a while. And we kept talking about it and thinking this isn't really what we want. It still feels like structured music, you know. So somehow we came up with the idea, well, why don't we just play instruments that we can't play? And once we started doing that, all of a sudden this thing grew and it turned into this massive event where all these people were playing at once and it was just completely unmanageable so then someone came up with the idea that we should have a name so there was one guy that always used to come that called himself Stormgrass and he'd write the name down and we'd put it in a hat and then we'd pull out trios or quartets if your name got pulled out you'd get up and play improvised music with people you'd never met or played with before and that really was when it started working because then there was audience and then there was performers but the boundaries of that was really blurred and you know and then of course because you couldn't play the instrument there would be no key there would be no time it was just this all floaty crazy music and then i bet it was kind of fun to watch though as the audience member it was incredible yeah it was incredible to watch because all you saw was interaction between people and you heard music that you would never ever hear anywhere else never hear previously and never hear again. So it was really special to be there. And I found that even though I was studying, like I was doing my master's then at the conservatorium in Sydney, but in a way this event that my wife and I and our friend created was more influential on my composing because it enabled me to hear things like rhythms that would cross each other and time and key and it's just everything... And it was just, it was really amazing. It was called Free For All. And it went for seven years, every Thursday night. Um, back to that studio guy, I said, oh, well, I've got some friends who I've been improvising with. Can I just invite them into the studio and we'll record them? So there was a drummer, a guitarist, a trumpet player, a piano player. And when they went into the studio, I just gave them directions like play really slow or play backwards and each of them I'd give different directions to, and they came in on different days, and we recorded about, I'd say, two hours of each of them. Mm. And when we moved here, I found it all, and it had been like ten years. So I started listening to it all, 
and I thought this is the most incredible music I've ever heard. It was all weird, it all sort of didn't work against each other and but I started in my studio like placing it all together, finding similar or not similar keys or feels and I started building these pieces and then I learnt the melodies that were improvised in the studio ten years earlier, I learned how to play them and doubled them so that they sounded like pieces and I created a whole album of that. That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And so one of them, uh, one of the pieces from that album which was called Separate Journeys, um, one of the pieces is uh, Splendid Wren, which is that Wren. another one which this one like had some chords on the piano that I looped and then there was a trumpet melody but it sounded more like a harmony to me so I created a melody above it on the saxophone talking about playing instruments you don't know that well I, I thought of this time I was playing soccer where I had this revelation like I busted my leg or something but I kept playing so I was super slow but I felt like I was better <laughs> because of it because yeah. I was actually being more I had to be more tactical and yeah. look up and see what was going on yeah. so I wonder, like, is that kind of, like, the feeling when you're playing an instrument you don't know? Like, you just have to figure out how to be musical with it? And yeah, you have to rely on all those things that we, you know, learn from an early age of simple melodies or, you know, do I play the instrument as it's meant to be played? Like, do I try and get the real sound out of it if it's like a trumpet or do I just go with the sound that I'm getting out of it? You know, what happens if I push this button... So, yeah, you become hyper-aware of the moment um, and it made me feel very comfortable in any situation, not afraid at all of any sort of mistake or wrong note or... Because just hearing stuff that was so free every week just eliminated all those preconceived ideas about how it should sound or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. What inspired you to do the... 10 albums in 10 years thing. Ah, oh, well, so when we moved here, my wife and I knew that we were going to set up some sort of gallery to um, showcase our art and other people's art who had a connection with this community. And so it just felt like the time to start my own sort of label. I just thought, ah, oh, I think I'll start doing that thing that's so easy now, where you can start a label, start releasing your own music, sell it from a centralised place. And then I thought if I say on my website and to people I know, I'll do an album a year for 10 years, then hopefully that'll happen. Yeah. So it's been really good because each of the albums I've done have been really different. The first one, I have a really good friend who's a poet and he challenged me to do 
an album of songs because I mainly do instrumental music. I just love that, the mystery of not knowing what a piece of music's about and that each person can interpret it their own way. So he challenged me to do an album of songs. And I thought, oh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and then he introduced me to the German poet Rilke, Rainer oh, yeah. Maria Rilke. So I started reading his poems, and then I came across a selection of poems from a book of his called The Book of Hours. The subtitle of them is Love Poems to God, but they're not like any prayer or any sort of thing you've ever read before. They're really... They really just touch on the whole, this thing of mystery again. Is there a creator? What's he like? Or what is this thing of life that we find ourselves in? You know, So that felt really cool to me. So I set uh, a group of those poems to music. If I had grown in some generous place If my house had for me to, once I started the project, to once I'd finished it and recorded it. Wow. And uh, so that was the first album I released on that new label. And um, once I'd done that, it was really, really exciting. Yeah. yeah. And the one that you just crowdfunded. Yeah. That's this year's album. That's right. right. Yeah. What's the name of it? Uh, it's called A Moment in Time because it's four different people from different parts of the world. There was this moment in time where we were all going to be in the same city. So we wrote two tunes each and came prepared for a rehearsal and then the next day in the studio and recorded that album. Yeah. What's your favourite one that you that you wrote? Because oh. Oh, you wrote two. Yeah, I wrote two. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about this one. This one's called Selchuk which is a city in Turkey. Myself and the trumpet player were on tour in Turkey in about 2000. And I'd written this tune about one of the towns, it's called Selçuk, and I had this sort of imagery and this uh, sound of what a Turkish piece of music would sound like. And I've got a couple of albums of, that I bought when I was over there, and I was listening to those, and I was writing this melody, and I thought, this sounds, you know, I think this is pretty Turkish. And the fact that there's no chords, a lot of that, Eastern music, they, they play in unison, they create sort of forward motion and harmony through melody rather than, you know, chords and, you know, melody and stuff. So, anyway, we recorded the album and a few weeks before I launched it, I was um, up in Sydney and I was at a gig of a, a friend invited me to, of this girl who'd come from Turkey, she was a piano player, and uh, I was talking to her and I mentioned Selçuk and she said, oh yeah, I know that town, and I said, oh, well, I've written a tune called Selçuk, you know. And she said, oh, really? I said, yeah, it's got all these Turkish influences. And So she said, sing it to me. So I sang her the tune. And she said, that doesn't sound Turkish. Oh. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. Well, well <laughs> you know. At least you made something out of it. Yeah. Sounds, but... tu- sounds Turkish to me. 
feel like sometimes improvisation just sounds so much better when you have that like bass pulse note yeah. going. Something I sometimes struggle with when I'm trying to impro- improvise is like, how do you know what to do with the structure of it or form? Like, a lot of times when I do experimental improv stuff, it'd be like, all right, we build up, build up, and then there's a climax, and then it comes down. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I I like to think of it in terms of like a space walk. Like if you're if you're the guy up in space doing that thing where you're out outside of the spaceship and up in the atmosphere and floating around, you can basically go wherever you want, but you've got that cord that connects you to the you know, the ship, the mothership. And if you don't if you don't have that you just float off, right? But if you have that all you need is that one connection. And then you have the ability to float anywhere around it. I often think of it also like a hovercraft, you know, like when you see a hovercraft, it can go any direction, sort of um, spin and turn and twist, but it needs the ground underneath it for that relationship to happen. So, like I often think that form is like a thing that once you start a piece of music, it just starts and you count it off and then off it goes. And then the way you relate to it is that you can drop in and out of it whenever you like. And as long as you're playing, especially with other jazz musicians who know what that form is, then they can also just drop in and out whenever they want. Hmm. So, yeah, I think about that a lot, and it and it really sort of directs and influences the way I play. So, like, when you're doing, like, a jazz form, is it always in your mind, like, who is going to be soloing next? Or does... How do you, mm, how do you like, tell that without talking (laughs) I think uh, organically you sort of feel what's going to happen you're just listening to each other and at different points in the song someone will take a dominant role and and then your role becomes more supportive and I think you know like any uh, conversation sometimes you're individually speaking sometimes you speak over someone else sometimes there's a bit of confusion about what you're actually talking about you know, like sometimes you're having a conversation with someone and you just, it takes a while to get what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But then other times you're right in there. You know exactly what they mean. And so that all that happens, I think, in any jazz performance at any time. So is your musical personality, like your regular life personality, do you think? Um, one of the things I notice about a lot of my music is that it's very, it's often slow and meditative but you know if I'm interacting with my kids I'm sort of often the more up and humorous sort of person so I I think too to be honest like I think to be a true improviser like to the level where that I'm trying to attain to get to which is that each time I play I play something original I'm not relying on learnt things that process for me doesn't happen at quick tempos I just can't compute quickly enough an idea that comes into my head, into my fingers. But at a slow tempo, I'm able to get a much larger percentage of that melody that comes to me. Yeah. So what's your album going to be for next year? Do you know? Yeah, it's totally different. Um, A friend of mine who lives in the village, who's a poet, 
she wrote a poem about discovering, like walking out of your front door and discovering that you could fly, that you could float up into the air and move above the houses. It was just this beautiful poem, and once I read it, I thought, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write all the music about that. And um, I like to put pretty strict restrictions around my composing because then it allows me to not get too broad but to have a theme and then to find a way through. It's like uh, it's almost like solving a puzzle. How am I going to do this? And the, the rule I had for this particular album was that I wasn't going to... Even though it's for all these instruments with all these ranges, you know, flute and strings and oboe and clarinet and bassoon and piano, and I thought I'm going to write it all without ever touching an instrument. I'm just going to do it all from my head and write it out. And then I got this job in Sydney where for three hours a week I'm up at 35,000 feet. I don't have an instrument. I've got a computer. I thought I'll write it all up in the air. It's called flying. It's about flying. I'm going to write it while I'm flying. And um, the plan is to record and do concerts in the second half of next year. That's cool. So, yeah. Concerts on airplanes exclusively. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great, yeah. Uh, That's really cool. How do you think being on the plane influenced how you're writing? Well, you know, the first thing you have is you have completely uninterrupted time. I just have my, you know, noise-cancelling headphones and my laptop. I'll try and get on the plane first or second or, you know, the first couple of people, and then I'll just start composing until they turn me to turn it, turn it off because so, we have to take off. And then as soon as the bell goes, ding, I'm back into it. It's such a pattern that I'm into, and I'm writing. It's so much harder than writing jazz because... You, as like you can just write a form and a melody, and this is sort of where we're going to go. But with this, all these classical instruments, I have to write every single note, and it's an hour's worth of music. So it's just the biggest thing I've ever done. The plan is to get it out next year. If it's not finished, I'll do something else because <laughs> it's so huge. It's, you could do the sounds of birds in Forty. Yeah, that's <laughs> the right. The album, then just add a little bit of a ambient undertone (laughs) I do have some backup albums that if I need to (laughs) I can just, you know, I've got another one sitting there that's ready to go that if I need to release that I can get myself out of trouble (laughs) That's cool I was thinking about doing like an orchestra piece and trying to think of it all in my head Mm. because I do feel like once I start entering it into the notation software you just want to keep playing it back to remember it yeah. but then you just get kind of stuck or I do anyways so. but I suppose like if you're thinking of them in your head too they're just bound to be more natural for the players yeah well that's the other thing too so you can see here I've got this the Samuel Adler the study of orchestration I've been working through that because you know each instrument has its strengths and weaknesses and the sound quality changes in different octaves and I mean man the whole orchestration thing is crazy just the way you can say if you've got a four note chord you can have like say you're just even just dealing with woodwinds you can have a flute an oboe a clarinet and a bassoon like that and that'll sound pretty natural 
but of course those four notes can possibly go to the other instruments and so you'll have different tone colours on top and mixing and then the strengths of where those notes might be on that particular instrument will bring out a different tone colour and so yeah. you can just take four notes give them to four instruments in four different registers 16 times and you'll get a different sounding chord each time yeah. so it's not like you know putting your hands down on a keyboard or so it's a you know these guys like these old classical composers that would just know how to get all those sounds out of those instruments and they had all that information in their head and they just knew it yeah it's impressive it is man it really is yeah i always kind of thought woodwind quintet was is just a cool arrangement because they yeah. all sound different and, mm. but yet they blend together in a way really yeah well. yeah absolutely so I'll ask uh, the question from the last guy I interviewed because oh, okay. we have the question chain going on. The oh, really? So yeah, oh, that's cool. That's a cool thing. Yeah. So Martin Kingsley asked, "Where do you think you are in your career, and do you feel like there's part of you that want would want to go back to an earlier part of your musical life?" Mm. That is an excellent question, yeah. When I was a lot younger, I realised that a lot of people didn't like, especially in the jazz world it seemed, a lot of people didn't like their own playing. And for some reason I figured out very early that if that was going to be the way I thought about my playing, it would never change. It wouldn't matter how good I got, I wouldn't like my own playing. So I started literally telling myself that I loved my own playing and I loved where I was at that particular stage knowing that I would get better as I progressed so that and the as I said before the stripping away of all those non-musical things with free-for-all has put me in a place where I always just love what I'm doing the interesting thing though is trying not to force your career like how did I get into... Like, that free-for-all thing, which then influenced the the Separate Journeys album, which then influenced the way I compose, which influenced the way I play. You know, I never know what's up ahead, but I'm always really excited to see, you know, how something that comes across my path will move me into a new direction. Uh, I remember when I first moved here, I had to record on a friend's album, and he... um. He asked me to submit a tune. Well, I just moved from the city, so I'm writing these complicated things, and I was sitting in this room just thinking, what the heck? I, I wrote like eight, I started like eight tunes, couldn't finish them. I went, this is so stupid, over a couple of days. Anyway, I walked out that door and looked up at the mountain, and I just saw this shape of the, you know, the mountain, and I went, oh. I went, yeah. I saw the shape of the melody and I went, of course, that's what I should be writing. So I came back in here, sat down at the piano and I just, this completely open and beautiful piece that I was able to form this melody from the mountains. And I wrote it in five minutes and that was the piece I submitted and it's the last piece on the album and it's just incredible.
open to whatever comes at you. Yeah. And uh, you know, I suppose the simple answer is I don't know where I'm headed in my career, but I'm happy where I am and I'm looking forward to where it'll be in the future. So I'm thinking that for your question for the next guest, mm. what if you, we make it a question for your wife? Lee. Wow. Because she's a songwriter. Yeah. And something you've never asked her. You've probably asked her a lot of things. I've asked her a lot of things. <laughs> wow. I can sit with that for a while and figure out that question. Do you think? Yeah. I'll have to sit with that. Do you want to hear one of her songs? Sure. She's an, she's a, whoa. She's heavy, man. She's a heavy musician. Totally different. It's funny how we've ended up in a similar place because she's come from a totally different background. She's one of the most... I mean, the fact that I'm married to her and I love her has got a lot to do with it, I suppose, but she's a gifted musician and maybe a lot more intuitive than I am or she's just coming at it a different way, but, man, she's, she's a heavy, heavy musician, man. <laughs> she's heavy. I'll play you one of her songs from her album, her latest album. The thing that freaks me out about this song is it's a song, right? Singing words, lovely. She leaves so much space in it, so much time to consider, you know, the lyrics. Anyway, it's just like my wife, but anyway, here we go.
That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of, like, Leonard Cohen vibe for some reason. Yeah, wow. I'm guessing, like, some of the songs she's written are about you and maybe your family, maybe? Yeah, I was just thinking that, actually. This album's called Home is Where the Art Is. And um, Lee wrote these songs while contemplating the concept of being an artist and then having a family. And I often think of Lee like, uh, you know, you hear the stories of, like, the Beatles... Lennon and McCartney apparently could just write songs about anything and George Harrison always struggled with that because he had to write songs about things that had happened to him it was the only way he could write a song and so I always think Lee's like that she writes songs about things that have happened to her or people she knows she doesn't just make songs up you know yeah so is that tough sometimes like for her to I mean this would be a question for her too yeah but like I wonder if like Sometimes I've thought about writing songs, but, you know, I don't want to offend people. Yeah. If they, or they might take it the wrong way, or... I don't know. It's interesting, because on uh, the festival we played at last week, we did some of Lee's songs, and uh, she hadn't sung them for a few years, so she was just talking about that on the way back, that all these songs are about people, and it's interesting how um, there's a couple of songs in there about me, obviously. Um, There's songs about our kids and our parents. Um, Fortunately, the things about me are... um, I think there's a particular song and a particular verse that I think are the nicest words anyone has ever said about me uh, in my life. And so it's really... Sometimes I can just remind myself of that you know if things are difficult or whatever um because she's got a really beautiful way of putting words together and it feels really you know great when someone does that for you um and there's a particular line in another song that's i think uh around the time when we were sort of getting together and it's a really poignant line that that really makes has just made a lot of sense through our entire relationship so what's that like um it's talking about where we used to live in sydney she was wondering whether we should get married or not and um i remember the day like because there was you know there's always difficulties in a relationship i suppose in figuring out whether two people should be together but the line was um find a ring among the stones perfect fit but it's sharp and jagged won't be an easy smooth ride home and she was questioning whether to marry me or not and while she was questioning that she found a piece of copper pipe on the ground that was in the shape of a ring and she put it on her finger and it fit perfectly but it was cut off some pipe and so it was all sharp and jagged so she felt like I should probably be with this guy, but it may not be easy all the time. Which is, I suppose, true of any relationship. But it was nice for her to feel that that was something that was a a sign or something to step into the relationship. And I often think of that because, you know, man, being married and staying married is hard for any couple these days, I think. And we are an absolute perfect fit. 
but I think because we're both individuals too and both artists that there are times when it can be difficult and you know just dealing with family things and that thing of wanting to live as an artist but then having three kids to look after and bills to pay that's always going to be hard for any artist you know but yeah so that line I always remember I always think of that yeah yeah that's cool yeah yeah my girlfriend and I uh, we broke up like before I came on this tour oh man um but yeah I've been thinking a lot about that and like we are actually like a very good fit in a lot of ways but it was kind of like kind of like communication issues and distance kind of yeah. But the door isn't closed, so yeah. You know what? It's just yeah. It's just like trying to figure out like what I what I want in life too, because yeah. I'm a very independent person, and she is too. Um, but yeah, it was we knew we needed to take a break for a bit and yeah, then wow. figure it out later. But yeah, I don't know. That's heavy, man. That never. That's really heavy. But yeah, were you gonna say something? I was just gonna say, um, um, I think some of the difficulty in our relationship is that six years ago I received a diagnosis that uh, says I'm Asperger's, high functioning autistic. And so communication for us is very difficult. Not because we don't love each other or we don't want to be able to talk, but there are some limitations to my brain which can cause grief to a what we call a neurotypical person, a person without autism, and then a person with autism that is me. So it's just... I think the that thing, perfect fit but it's sharp and jagged, won't be a smooth, like an easy smooth ride home. We know that we're meant to be together, but it's hard because I've got autism. And uh, it's incredibly difficult for us to, not all the time. In fact, when we're playing music, it's the most incredible thing in the world. And that's why we do it so much. We feel a total connection there. But then often when we're just trying to speak to each other, my brain doesn't allow that to happen completely naturally and it's quite frustrating for both of us. Mm. So, yeah, you know. I, I wouldn't have guessed that, meeting you, actually. Well, yeah. Um, so, autistic people have what's called a special interest and when they're in that zone, they can be perceived as pretty normal. <laughs> so music and improvised music is mine. So when I'm talking about that, when I'm doing that, when I'm at work at my job in Sydney, I feel completely free. I feel a complete flow in all parts of my body. But when I move from that into domestic life or filling out forms or interacting with other people in other contexts, 
I'm a complete write-off, and I don't think you've seen me in that yet. So, you know. Sure. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. Did you happen to listen to my episode with Torley? He's an electronic musician, and also high-functioning Asperger's. Yeah. Um, and it was very interesting talking to him about it too. Yeah. I possibly have. I've listened to a lot of them, and I just can't recall. I've listened to a lot in the past six years. I've listened to just about everything I can on autism as well. So, for me to single something out would be difficult. But it's certainly is it help, helpful for you to like listen to stuff about it. Or? Oh man, I don't know. Yes and no. You know, sometimes like. Um, there are some things that I'm just never going to be able to get. I'm just never going to be able to get them. So that's a bit frustrating. But there are some absolute benefits to it. The single-focused brain that I have that enables me to do ten albums in ten years and not falter with it at all. Um, my dedication to practice, my dedication to composing and writing and just developing those things that I'm like working at the highest level in Sydney teaching improvisation and jazz to kids and students and and you know fortunately I'm in a family that you know really loves me like our middle daughter who you've met Sarah she's also she's also Aspie so you know we have a real special connection and uh, I, I think the, the difficult thing is hearing that there are some things that I'm just not going to be able to change and that's a little bit confronting to think that even as I get older, there are some things I'm going to be doing at an infant's level in a way that I'm just not going to be able to build the skills that I need to to overcome those. Um, like you know. what kind of things is, is that? Oh, um, so there are some particular sensory issues I have and Sarah would have different ones and they can cause me enormous amounts of grief like even though logically I know what they are and often they're not they're not something that would cause anyone else grief but because of the way my brain's wired they just cause me grief to the point where it can shut me down hmm. and I'm not going to be able to overcome those things hmm. If I can see that something's going to start causing me grief, I just can't go, oh, I'll, I'll just sit through it and grin and bear it because that can then escalate to something which is not good for anyone. So I have to move out of situations that are going to cause me grief. Hmm. Do, you, do you mind sharing what those things are or is it uh, very personal? Uh, you know, there's... <laughs> There's numerous, there, there are many and numerous. Um, probably one that's easy to understand and not too confronting is um, I've had this thing, like I've had all these things since I was a kid. Uh, what happens is I, I say that my core temperature drops. What it means is I feel cold and it can come on pretty quickly. I feel so cold that my teeth chatter and my body starts to seize up. I, I can't move because I'm freezing cold. Now, 
I know that my body is not freezing cold. And if you put a thermometer under my tongue, I'll just have a normal temperature. But the only way I can turn it off is to either get under the shower or get in a bath that's incredibly hot until my body then readjusts. I, the last time I had it actually was a couple of weeks ago. I had a gig up in northern New South Wales and I was by myself and I got home from the gig. Everything was fine. I got into bed and I just felt it and I just went, oh, hell. And I can sort of start sort of hyperventilating like I can't breathe because everything, like it feels like my throat and everything is freezing. It just feels like it's, uh, you know, like turning into ice. I thought I'd got to get into the bath, so <laughs> I was staying at my in-law's place. So I basically had to drag myself out of bed, try and get myself across the carpet into the bathroom and turn the taps on with these frozen hands, all the time knowing in my mind this isn't real. I'm not actually going to freeze or die, but there's no way I can turn it off. So, so yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> one of a large handful of them no. but that's a nice easy one that's a that's a nice that doesn't cause anyone else grief really mm. you know that's just something I have to deal with and always have is music kind of like a help to you when those things are happening or does it sometimes if I go, if it goes too far like if my brain you know goes over the edge then nothing can really bring me back but um if I'm getting feelings like something's going to happen, I can come in here. Like, it's great that I've got a space like this, even in our house. And, in fact, when we were looking at houses in this village, that was a that was an absolute mm. no-brainer that I needed a space, you know. But it's funny, like, um, I don't know why I'm thinking of this in context of the question, but when I go to Sydney, I stay with my father. And um, uh, my mother passed away last year. So I get to spend a lot of time with him now, and it's really great for both of us. And But we were going for a swim the other day, and he said to me, <laughs> he said to me, I figured something out about you, Spike. I don't think English is your first language. He said, I think music is your first language, and English is your second language. And I just thought, wow, that's a heavy thing for my father to say, you know? But I thought... Yeah, that's that's right. Because I have so many difficulties communicating outside of the musical realm. But I've never had difficulties communicating with music or I've never even had really difficulties understanding it or being able to speak it. And that's like even that free for all thing, that crossover into other instruments was never an issue for me. Huh. You know. Um not that I'm a master at those instruments or anything, but I never felt uncomfortable moving to an instrument that I didn't know how to play. Huh. Do you think your your daughter Sarah's gonna get into music in that same way? Yeah, she's pretty she doesn't seem to have any problem with any music at all. In fact it was funny, um when we moved here Lee and I started doing some gigs every weekend down at the chalet thing and I'd play piano and lead sing so the girls were there every week and Sarah started learning all these jazz songs just by listening to them you know and hearing Lee scat and that sort of thing and one day Sarah was making something in the kitchen and she was scatting 
over Fly Me to the Moon. So she wasn't singing the melody, she was just scatting melodies through the chord changes. And so, like, as a jazz musician, I can hear that and know that she, even though she doesn't know what the chords are or what the harmonies are, she was hitting all of them, like, perfectly, improvising melodies through it. And I just said to her, like, oh, you're singing Fly Me to the Moon, you know, and she just went, how did you know that? You know, how could you have, I, I haven't even, haven't even sung it. And I said, well, you're singing over the chord changes and, you know, explained it to her a bit, but she didn't really get the explanation, but she can already do it. You know, so she's got some, Lee and I have noticed with her, especially just her ears just work. She can hear stuff and a lot more like Lee. Lee understands all that stuff on an intuitive level. I do too, to an extent, but I'm also the sort of person who will actually go and figure out every single little bit of you know information i need to know yeah yeah well i appreciated that as you're giving me the tour around poetina sarah was giving some uh tour music in the background (laughs) making it up on the spot that was great (laughs) yeah she's so funny like that well spike we had a good talk here yeah and i guess we should wait for your question to Lee till we talk to her. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be fun. Thanks again for hosting me here. Oh, yeah. man. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. It's been great. Yeah. hunt for echidnas hopefully you can hear us through the windscreen yeah i don't know cyril just texted and said that they spotted an echidna somewhere right. so, not far away so we're just going to walk and see if we can see it do they make any sounds or uh no not really <laughs> so this is going to be great podcast material yeah. in other words i mean if we were seeing the echidna with our dog kelly she just goes crazy over them and even though she knows 
She's going to get quills in her mouth. And nose. Oh. And she's nose and snout. Oh. And be covered in blood. She still attacks them. She's a little bit crazy. Not too bright, that one. Yeah. Well, you, you're saying she is half dingo? Or oh, no. Partly? She's partly the dingo. The breed that she is, which is Kelpie, has, has uh, historically has dingo in it. So. Huh. And runs super fast, jumps yeah, over it. That's right. She can. Large. Yeah. Walls that you've tried to build. Yeah. She's basically unstoppable, so <laughs> yes, you pretty much jump over anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean she'd probably get on that roof if she wanted to. Yeah, she can pretty well get over <laughs> anything. So that is taller than us. Yeah. yeah. They, they have these like competitions to see which um Kelpie can jump the highest. Yeah, oh, they just crazy. run and just walk straight up the wall. <laughs> we'll show you that. That's hilarious. So are we we're walking onto the golf course here. Yeah, yeah. So you were telling me earlier that's like the golf course takes up what three quarters <laughs> of the town. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So apparently the uh, the kidney's just over here. Hope it's a baby on this. So what'll happen basically is the echidna will see us and possibly like so they bury themselves in the ground and then have their quills sticking out so you can't get them. Yeah, so you've got to be really quiet. So you got to be come, quiet. They'll get their little head up and they have the cutest face. Like, they have the really long they're nose really, and they just yeah. peek out. You'll have to get a photo because they're really... Uh, yes. They're really lovely. Hey, mate. How are you? Hey, um, Graham, have you seen an echidna around? Cheryl sent me a text. Um, this is Graham. This is a friend of mine. Charlie is here from the States. Yeah, hey, Charlie. Nice to meet you. What? Yeah. Oh, well, there might be one over here, mate. Yeah, I can see him. All right. Oh, yeah, he's signaling. Well, there you go, man. You're going to actually have an echidna signing. Oh. Which for this time of year is pretty rare. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that one over there or is that a... <laughs> that could you, you be one there. you think it's an echidna? And then yeah. it's... Oh. Like, hmm. Yeah, right? So that looks like an echidna. But it might be a rock. It is. It, it is. is? Yep. Oh, boy. It is. Oh, boy. Oh, is it or isn't it? It isn't. It isn't. No. We've been what is... It's... It's just a pile of... Just a pile Sticks. Of crap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on. So you can uh. often confuse an echidna <laughs> with a pile of sticks. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> oh, it's a light one. Huh? Oh, it's really cute. Oh, there. Oh, wow. Oh. It's an albino. Whoa. That's rare as anything, man. Whoa. Wow. Oh, oh. It's not albino. Oh, no, it's not albino. So we'll sort of have to... Junior. Junior. Oh. So we'll he's digging sort of... digging in the yeah, ground. Yeah, digging into the ground. So we'll have Junior to... protect themselves. And... Yeah. We'll stand over here for a bit. Yeah. It'll come out. That's so cool. You'll see when it goes to come in. Like, it's going to keep digging itself in. But eventually, it will come out. And cool. Poke its little head up. And you'll see its oh. head and its little snout. This is exciting. Yeah. I, have, I haven't ever seen an echidna. I don't think even in a zoo. No. 
Where did these birds spike? Well, that's the currawong. That main one you're hearing. I'm not sure what that other one is. That's uh... I think that could be the green rosella, I think. That's what kookaburras sound like. in the b- living room. <laughs> That's my new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> just come and build. Anybody want some coffee? <laughs> we don't have any. <laughs> this is like the ultimate family podcast interview right here. So, yeah. Lee, yeah. it's about time that we interview you because I talked to Spike for quite a while this afternoon and he played me one of your songs and it was really beautiful so I'm looking forward to checking out the rest of the CD but you were saying you the first song you wrote was when you were nine yeah I think so yeah uh for my brother who was about to arrive yeah so it was I can still kind of remember it and it was just felt natural to write a song about his arrival yeah. Do you still remember the song? <laughs> Not enough to sing it, no. Uh, <laughs> do you have any songs that you'd be willing to show me on piano? I haven't actually played any of them for quite a while. I could do it with guitar, though. Oh, if I go sure. And get my guitar. Okay. Yeah. I'd cool. Have to go and get it. Well, we can edit the silence out while yeah. you go get it. <laughs> All right. I'll go and get it. Or we could fill the space with one of Sarah's songs. We could get Sarah to sing for us. Why don't you sing um, Cheek the Cheek? Sure. Alright. Um. <laughs> Happy now. 
<laughs> that was great. Anyway, that's a bit of a... <laughs> Sarah, you're going to be a jazz singer extraordinaire. Yeah. When did you start getting into that style of um, singing? I don't really do many jazz songs. I just know that one. Like, I don't really know. Oh. <laughs> I think she's had to listen to it every week for two years. <laughs> it's true, it's true. <laughs> well, this is fun. Like, yeah. my, my house, my parents are both, like, they like music a lot. And they sort of play piano and sort of play guitar. Or used to, but we never had, like, family jam sessions. Oh, well. Can I start for a very long bit? Give me the guy in mind. If I could sneak into your house Hide under your bed Listen to you breathing And hear any word you said I wanna be in your room To know what you do Watch you while you're sleeping I'm creepy, addicted Places I know you walk, wash and wax your car, always know where you are. I want to know what's in your head, what book you just read, watch you while you're eating. I'm creepy, addicted.
Where did that song come from? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I had been going to a poetry slam of performance poetry and as part of the slam there was a competition and if you won, I don't know, you won a bottle of wine or something. So after going for weeks and weeks I thought I'd really like to go in that competition. I'd like to win it. And so you could either do a poem or a song like that. So I thought, well, if I want to win it, I'm going to have to do something that's really quirky and extreme. So I wrote that <laughs> to win the competition. <laughs> that's great. Do you remember, like, the progression of which words came first or, like, the chorus or verse or...? I remember I was at my day job and I just said to a couple of friends, I'm going to write a song about a stalker. And so what would be like the most disturbing things that you could imagine someone doing? And so I got like a whole list of all their suggestions <laughs> and I just put, put them all in the song. So, yeah, that kind of came. And the actual chord progression is just something that a friend had he'd showed me, that kind of blues sort of thing, and I just added all the chromatic semitone steps down in in between to make it sound a bit more creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to wait till you leave the house Sit in your favourite chair Imagine you want me being there I'm creepy, addicted to you mm-hmm. So, Spike has a question for you because this is the question chain on the podcast so spike yeah so i think my question is what would your world look like without music Ooh. wow that's a good question thank you my love uh, I actually can't imagine that because it's just always there. It's always in my head. It's always um, there'd probably just be silence in my head, which would be quite strange. And I know I happen to know that my primary processing and learning style is music, musical. So I probably wouldn't feel as confident with the way I process things. I'd probably be floundering a little bit hmm. um, in my understanding of the world. Hmm. So the songs to you are like a real personal way to work through things? or uh, Yeah, not so much even songs, just music and rhythm. Hmm. So, yeah, there's just constant rhythm and music happening in my body, in my head. And if I really need to do something by listening to music while I'm doing it, I'm able to do it much more easily and, and smoothly. So it actually, it's like the, the oil in the cogs. Hmm. So Spike also made sure that I asked you about your orchestral mouth. <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit weird. So one time I was at the dentist and he said, what is going on with your teeth like the all the enamel is gone from your back teeth and he was like accusing me of all sorts of weird and wonderful you know frequent vomiting habits and things and I said no I I don't um and 
at the time I just thought it was really weird and I didn't think about it. But then as I did that questionnaire that helped me to understand about the music and the learning style, it all just fell into place and I realised that when I was young I would always be tapping something like a comb or, you know, just things and, and people would get really annoyed with me all the time saying, can you shut up, you know, stop doing that tapping. But it, because it was because... I needed that rhythm for me to process and think properly. And so I've actually internalised it at a young age. And so I do it with my teeth now just by moving them side to side. So I've got like the most insane, you know, Latin rhythms going on in my head, but it's just me playing the drums with my teeth. And I do it all the time. I just catch myself and it's just this constant, you know, rhythm-making thing that I have with my teeth. Just, oh, you know, wow. <laughs> you can only hear it by getting like you actually have to put your ear on her jaw, <laughs> and then you go. Dook, 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 dook. Whoa! You hear all this stuff. It's really crazy, man. Yeah. So if I put the microphone <laughs> next year, <laughs> do a bit of it, Lucy. I don't know if there. that would work. No. Okay. <laughs> well, does it bug you then when people aren't keeping time? <laughs> Yes. And you remember when we were talking about podcasts, the one for the Freakonomics Radio, there's a guy drumming and it's just slightly sort of out of time and I have to listen to it over and over again because it's at the <laughs> beginning. And I'm like, oh, I, just, I want to get in there and just play that huh. <laughs> so that it's in time. It's oh, only, slightly, only slightly out. Sure. <laughs> so we were talking a little bit about what possessed you guys to come here to a remote part of Tasmania from Sydney? And you had lived a lot of places in the world, it sounds like, too. Mm. So from your point of view, like, what drove you to come here? I guess uh, I had actually, you know, seen in my imagining that I would end up in a place like this. And then when in that kind of spooky kind of way when it became apparent that this is what I had seen all those years ago it just felt like I better just do what the universe has been guiding me towards doing because uh, if I don't know if you if you make a decision to go against the trajectory that you sort of meant to be on maybe that just causes a whole lot of grief for your life so yeah just sort of thought okay well this is where we're meant to be and I didn't really understand all the things that were going to be good about it but once we got here and I saw how it made a difference to our creative lives um, just you know Spike's composing my singing all the things for our family for the girls it just then it really confirmed it that it was the the right place to be yeah mm. we were also talking about how like music was kind of Making music was out of your life for maybe, like, five years or so. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, like, you had just gotten too into it and it just, you just needed a break? or? No. At the time, I was doing, like, five gigs a week, just cover gigs. And at that time, it was just a moment in you know like a a period of about 10 years where I wasn't actually happy with what I was writing and so I really was just doing covers and 
for some reason I just didn't keep learning new covers either. I was just literally doing the same ones. Like maybe I had a pool of about 100 and then I would just be only doing those 100 songs. And, and you know, sometimes you find yourself in a situation at a gig where you're playing music that you don't really want to play in a, in a situation that's kind of cheesy and it just takes all your love uh, well, for me, it took my love of it away. I just um, had to make a decision and and think I'm actually getting to the point where I hate music and I need to stop because it is very important to me. So I th- said I'll never do another cover gig again and I I didn't have any original stuff to do yet that I liked. So I, li- I had to stop doing the covers and just do nothing until I then had my own stuff that I was happy to perform and play. So... How, how do you get over that hump of like you want to write stuff but like maybe you were feeling like it wasn't mm. up to par? It was really weird. I, You know how sometimes little conversations or a, a, a sentence that someone says just sticks in your mind? Um, I was out having dinner with this guy. His name's Guy Klasevic. He's an accordion player and composer. Um, we were just in some restaurant in Manhattan and he said, so, you know, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a, a singer. And and he said, so where are you working? I said, oh, I'm not at the moment. I'm kind of taking a break. I've had to stop doing these cover songs because it's really, you know, making me hate music. And he just looked me in the eye and said, well, why don't you just do the stuff that you write? And to him it was such an... Um, an obvious question because he's writing all the time and he's made all these albums and to me it was just quite confronting because I was thinking, yeah, why why aren't I? Why can't I? So I spent a bit of time trying to figure out how do I get back to just the absolute basics of what music has always been and at the time because I was kind of travelling around the States I just started reading about Native American myths and legends and through that really poetic and looking at storytelling as coming out of the most basic part of life, it helped me not to not feel like I had to achieve all this really amazing commercial, successful kind of writing, but I could just write about everyday things. And that was the thing that started me on the path of being happy. Like I can just write about quite mundane things and be happy about it. And then I think spending time doing The Artist's Way, the book by Julia Cameron, just working through lots of of those. It's kind of like peeling away layers of an onion skin, doing the the 12 chapters of that book. And so it's getting rid of those layers that prevent us from just being able to listen to what's going on creatively for us. So that was a big part of it. And then doing free-for-all where we... Um, sure Spike has spoken to you about that where we just create music spontaneously in the moment with a group of people and the more you do that the more you can feel comfortable to just quickly get in the zone of allowing stuff to bubble out yeah. and, and and to really appreciate it for its beauty yeah yeah I forgot to ask you do you have a question for my next guest ah yes well, along that same vein, I think I would really like to ask what is the influence early in life that allowed you to be confident and comfortable with writing and composing? 
was it a person or a a group or a um yeah what was the actual thing that made you believe that to do this is a good idea mm. that's good i was thinking since you mentioned the free for all it'd be kind of fun to see what like maybe we could do as a yeah as a group and just try improvising something and yeah um, absolutely that'd be fun yeah what should we do for instruments um well it doesn't have to be an instrument it can just be the or, floor <laughs> that's true or a body part or um something like a kitchen or a zip <laughs> we've generally tried to have a bit of a rule when we do free-for-all that whatever instrument instrument you pick can't be your your main your instrument main. yeah okay it's got to be something that you don't normally do or play well, I normally play piano and guitar, so those are out for me. But I can use some sort of percussion or... Sounds like a good instrument. Ooh. I've never played a metal basket with a fire poker before. <laughs> what are you going to do? I swear. <coughs> oh, you just stop. All right. You I'm Before I forget, if people want to like find you guys on the internet, like music, find your CDs and stuff, where should they go? Uh, the poetinatree dot 
thepoetpoet.com.au so it's t-h-e-p-o-a-t-i-n-a dot com dot a-u and that's uh, our gallery and we sell all the CDs on, on there and of course there's spikemason.com yeah. and my creativity project is just thepoetinatree.wordpress.com yeah we didn't really touch on that at all but I'm curious like you were telling me a little bit about this video series you're doing. Yeah, what's the idea there? Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a blog with some some videos and some blog posts, and I'm doing an experiment on myself where I am putting into place in a very holistic way the things in my life that I need to be able to get the creative ideas out of my head and onto paper. So, you know, what kinds of time management and goals and deadlines do I need to put into place? What kind of healthy eating and exercise? What kind of financial planning? You know, what, what are all of those things that I need to put into place so that I can carve out some time every week to, to create? Cool. Well, guys, uh, it's been really fun staying with you so far and yeah looking forward to hanging out for a few more days so absolutely yeah Call is now being recorded. Hey, Tweeny. Hey, Charlie. How you doing? Good. It's been a while since we checked in. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so you're on the other side of the world. Uh, where have you been? Well, I just left Tasmania. I was there staying with a family, the Mason family, and that was like the first time on my trip, when I was leaving a place and I got like pretty sad because after staying with this family who was just really cool, I, I realized like, you know, these people I'm staying with in Australia, I'm not going to be able to see them for a long time probably. So it was kind of like a bittersweet, like 
Yeah. Have you had that kind of experience? Like, I know you were in Japan for a while, and... Yeah, of course. Uh, I've gone through many departures, uh, even some in the more recent times, the past year or two, where I know I had to move someplace and leave behind what I have uh, to go explore something new. And um, it's, uh, it's it's tough. It's because um, you make those connections, right, that are so, so beautiful. I think it's really cool that you experienced it. Yeah. Uh, another part of it, too, is, like, I want people who are listening to have the same experience I am as much as I can. So part of me is like, oh, I wish I could just record all these fun dinner conversations because more personality comes out almost when you're not recording, Um, as is always the case, I'm sure, with people trying to do documentaries or whatever. But it's just fun, like, trying to capture some of that, at least in these episodes. It's just before 6 a.m. here in Melbourne. I'm actually out in a suburb called Crib Point. And I was woken up by that rooster. I'm just staying out in a little shed out in the backyard. And the family I'm staying with is going to take me to some sort of yoga chanting meditation ceremony. Uh, It sounds like there's a Brazilian guy who leads these chants. So I'm curious to record some of that, maybe interview interview people there, and maybe this meditation will help me get over this cold. But until then, you can enjoy my deep, sultry radio voice. All right, well, I'm... I'm hanging out with Francine and Mark. Where are we right now? We're at Sorrento, on the ferry. We're going to uh, the Ocean Grove Satya Centre, which is a yoga centre. Just a suburban house that we've... Uh, used to be a podiatrist, actually, and we just, uh, we've turned it into a yoga centre. And we're going to celebrate Durga Ashtami. Which is? Uh, which is this, uh, it's a Hindu celebration the deity Durga. She's the goddess of intellect. She's the slayer of demons. She's also sometimes depicted as the mother. Uh, so quite nurturing, but quite fierce at the same time. Okay, cool. I, I don't know 
really anything about Hinduism. So. Yeah, well, I'm not a practicing Hindu, but we just, in, in the yogic tradition, we just, we follow certain traditions. Certain traditions yeah. Sure. I mean, it is a bit like our church, I suppose, but it's, um, yeah, it's a little bit more relaxed. It's a little bit more westernized, I suppose. Sure. How'd you get into, like, this yoga and meditation sort of thing in the first place? Um, I just started doing classes and um, sort of through doing that realised that, you know, it was something that I really need, felt like I needed in my life. Um, I was at a bit of a low point and it gave me some direction, really. That was about, uh, it's probably about 20 years ago. So, yeah, I sort of felt like I was really lost at that point and meet, meeting, meeting Swami, here we go. Um, Welcome aboard Sea Rose Ferry, Australia's favourite car and passenger ferry. We're live. In the interest of safety, there's some important information you should be familiar with when travelling with us. Thank you for choosing Sea Rose Ferries, and we wish you all a pleasant trip. And now if that isn't the best advertisement for this ferry, I don't know what. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect. Um, so I suppose, I suppose, really, you know, in 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 that respect, like it was about I needed some instructions, and slowly over time, my life has changed through just uh, adopting certain habits in my life. I suppose. Yeah. How has music factored into that? Because you're saying we're going to be hearing we're going to be doing some chanting some, yeah some chanting um, chanting is like uh, is outward meditation and what it does is it creates a vibration you sit within that vibration and then you can take it take it away with you so it's it's something that you can draw on you know through the rest of the week you know when you go to work or Swami was sort of saying that um, chanting is like uh, meditation on steroids I mostly do percussion work in it and I'm still having difficulty chanting at the same time as I'm playing so when I when I can let go enough to chant at the same time it feels like a vessel that's actually been filled usually when I play music I get quite drained physically drained and emotionally drained after a session of chanting, I, I feel full. I feel, I don't know how many times after playing a, a, a concert, I would always feel like uh, there was a need for me to be entertained after. You know, who was going to entertain the entertainer? So you're going to be playing percussion with the chanting? I today? will be, yes. Okay. We'll have a combination of uh, djembe from Indonesia. And we'll have uh, some tablas, which are more um, southern, I think, southern Indian. Cool. What kind of rhythms do you do with the um, Well, some of the rhythms, we, I try to do Aryan rhythms, you know, more typical Indian rhythms, uh, although I'm pretty bad at it. So <laughs> I do my best, you know, like I just pick that up tablet that is I picked that up probably seven eight months ago and it's such a complex instrument you know like 
there's a live so many different tones in oh, the it's, drum. it's very very complex it feels like sitting on a horse that 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 hasn't been tamed and there's moments of, of greatness that appears it's it's like there's a vessel there that that wants music to come out of it cool it's a very very cool little thing and then there's the djembe which i just use a lot of for more african or celtic rhythms the idea for me to play percussion there is more to keep a line that people can chant to and try to keep my ego out which is quite a task <laughs> it really adds to the to the um, atmosphere too because we're you know we're westerners that have sort of adopted an eastern sort of practice when we first started doing it we were we were really really bad at it like really bad <laughs> and because you know most indian people would be brought up that would be part of their their childhood and we were very clumsy and very self-conscious you know yeah. So have you ever been to a chanting session? No. Okay. No. This will be this will be <laughs> interesting for you. Yeah. Is it kind of just like people are going to be chanting for probably a long, a long time forty-five and... minutes altogether? Okay. I'd say. I think as well. Whoever is listening at the moment, you can join in as well, and to breathe and to let go, and even if you're just sitting somewhere in your living room or wherever you're living you're, you're listening to this even within a, a, a set of headset listen to it even chant to it if you can and it will come to you as well welcome to Diego Shani 2016 so we'll start with the country and the hell music
<laughs> yeah, a tame little bit. Yeah, Mark and Fernando. And uh, I was just curious, like, where did the the melodies and chords and stuff come from for these chants? The the lyrics for it, the existing chants, the existing mantras, if you like. Sure. Pretty much just adapted it to westernized way of playing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was different than I was expecting for chant. I, I, yeah, it's not I a traditional like type the, of like oh, just like constant notes, but yeah, they're actually more like pop songs in a way. Like, yeah, yeah it's of, more like a westernized version. Of sure. It. Yeah. Um, so the last chant that we did, that's um, the English. Swami. Yeah. Yeah. So is that like connected to the to leader? The yeah. Who, Okay. Correct. Yeah, it's correct. It, correct. it was written yeah. for the guru. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like cool. saying thank you. Yeah. Sure. Thank you for um, grace. all the all the good work she does for us. Mm. You know. So she kind of founded the whole thing, and yeah, I think she started the group like 20, 30 years ago. Oh. Yeah. Do you remember who wrote that song for her? That was me. That was you. Yeah. Cool. Couldn't make it today, though, huh? She's well, she just had, had an operation, yeah. Oh. So she's um, had heart problems since she was eight, yeah. and she survived all that. Yeah, yeah. that's one of the things. And that's one of the things yeah. she's been. I think, I think it's something like I think she said something. There's like ten things that she should Could be have, dead. Yeah. She, she should, probably she should be dead. She's yeah. poisoned by her husband. You know, and it's only oh. the, only the cook that recognised what was going on and actually saved her. Oh, but, why? Um, Do you know why? Oh, to do with uh, a mistress and all that sort oh, of stuff. So, yeah, there's ten things where she should have been dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. She had cancer four times and got over it. Um, well, yeah. But it, yeah, you see her walking in a room, you go, yeah, that's, that's somebody. <laughs> Pretty, it's like Michael Jordan walking into a, any room, you say, oh, that, that must that's, be a basketball yeah, player. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That guy's yeah, got the vibe. I think there's one time she was meditating and there was a snake on the roof. And her uh, master said, get up. And she said, all right, I'll get up. And then the snake dropped where she was meditating. So the snake would have dropped on her if she hadn't been. You can go yeah. on. It's oh, heaps. Yes. There's more to the picture. That means the eye. Maybe, maybe you could do the chords and I would do the extensions. Oh, uh, sure. So like if kind you, of like a solo? Yeah, over. like, I think it'll go like this. And the other guitar will, will do something like... But different rhythm, I reckon. I'm not the best guitar player, so... <laughs> That's <laughs> alright. I should introduce you, Harry. Because oh. I'm recording. Alright, um... <laughs> Um, I'm here with Harry Gibson, and Harry, uh, it's awesome being in your home here. It's fantastic to have you. Yeah. Your mom and Mark took me out this morning to, uh, the yoga meditation. Yeah. How, how did you like it? Uh, it was cool. I, it was like a lot different than I was expecting. I was kind of expecting it to be like more 
peaceful, but actually at, at certain points, like, you know, Mark's on the percussion and everybody's like really getting into it. So yeah. it's, it's like a very different kind of meditation, but they go pretty crazy sometimes, don't they? Yeah. Well, Harry, uh, first of all, thank you for being a Kickstarter backer mm. and, uh, you commissioned me to write a song, which is why we're sitting here with guitars at the ready. Yeah. Your initial challenge to me is a very specific one. Yes. <laughs> which is a high-energy novelty song sung by me. Uh, did, did I say sung by you? <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember. Oh, uh, because like, I'm more of an instrumental, instrumentalist person, so I'm actually I'm surprised I said that. I, I I didn't know I didn't have any examples of um, stuff to choose from. I didn't know what the specific rules were when you had to, you know, sure. when you had to pick uh, a song. The oh, hey, hey, mom, hey, how you Get doing? The family is here. Hey, hi, hey guys. Family just grew. Woo! <laughs> this is uh, this is Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Hi. This is Sheila. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. This is Liam. Liam. Hey, nice to meet you. You too. And you've met Mom and Mark. Looks like they're back. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to um, continue our challenge to write a song in a little bit after yeah. uh, after some dinner with your family. Yeah, let's eat first. <laughs> All right. Okay, family, uh, we've had a delicious meal of lasagna, thanks Francine, and now I think it'll be fun for us to figure out what Harry and I should write a song about. <laughs> so Sheila's got my purse, so... That, that could be a song. I what guess. about Emma? Sheila's got my purse. Are we thinking about just a concept for the song, or um, the song in general? Uh, well... Could it be a love song? A love song about stealing purses? <laughs> ah. Could be somebody in love with a purse. That's Maybe something. it wasn't the purse the person stole, it was their heart. What if it's like a sci-fi concept, someone has their heart taken out of them and they keep it in their purse... Some guy picks up the purse because she dropped it. <laughs> she was going to return it? He was going to return it? And he was going to return it. But then he found the heart. But then they put the purse in his body. <laughs> oh. He said, leave the cards, take the cash. Take the <laughs> 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 These are like perfect lyrics, Harry. Leave the cards, take the cash. Oh, man. Yeah, if that's, this that's, one. that's good. If this doesn't woo that special someone in your life, <laughs> then... <laughs> I'm going to make sure Emma hears this. Like the cash. <laughs> Take yes. the cash. Yes. Mm. Well, I like that sci-fi angle. Yeah. Sci-fi is great. It'll be like the... Um, I listened to an episode, uh, and it was from the guy who did... Um, it was like novelty music. It was like... It was silly. It was comedic. Was it the... Uh, like was jingles? it like jingles for his podcast? Or like themes for his podcast? It was a fairly recent one. Bubba, does that sound familiar? Oh, I don't know. There's so many. Yes, yeah. there's too many. Did, did, did Harry commission you to write a jingle? Uh, well, or a whole song? Well, 
You did, actually. The, the, the jingle but, is part of the Patreon thing, but the, the commission was part of the Kickstarter. Yeah. Oh. But your jingle was fun, right? Because oh, I remember you gave that. me I the you gave me the challenge to um, write a song about you riding a kangaroo, yeah, and just well, make like me Japanese sound like a dumb American, pretty much. Yeah. Exactly, That's, just, and we we love great. we love to do that. Recording the the conversation about how I'm probably gonna die from a spider bite, <laughs> <laughs> or just oh, yeah. have oh, no. a flesh, not, flesh eating disease. We're just yeah. letting you know that they are everywhere. Yeah, yeah and you, you might not necessarily get the flesh eating disease either. I think it's optional. It, it could drunk. be about a flesh eating disease. You might just go straight for the heart. Cold love. Yeah. <laughs> Cold love. It is like a flesh eating disease. It's a soul eating disease. Soul eating disease. Oh, 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 yeah. Bite someone. Yeah. Takes their soul. Yeah. All right, uh, well, back to the sci fi. <laughs> <laughs> Harry has spoken. Because <laughs> I like sci fi. Okay. I think it would be, I think it's a good idea. The first idea. Sci fi. Leave the heart, take the cash. Yeah. Leave the heart, so, take uh, the cash. Purse. Someone's dropped their purse. How do you explain how the sci-fi world works within like the first thirty seconds, though? <laughs> we this is a big challenge. We gotta create a whole universe. This is where you come in, this Liam, person. with your electronic music. Electronic. Yeah, yeah, and just like definitely create the mood. <laughs> you gotta create the mood. Oh, I reckon we go with some. So maybe it's just single people that leave their hearts in their purses. Yeah. Oh, and then it could be a little poetic. They just go around dropping their purse everywhere until someone gives yeah, it back. Until to someone them. picks it up, gives it back. Oh, you get you get There's a. Somebody goes around with a, with a hockey stick. Uh oh. And just, <laughs> just hits your pups. Yeah, Maybe yeah, it's yeah. like that was last night's discussion. Oh, okay. Maybe it's like a Japanese anime <laughs> where where the hearts are like you put them together yeah, and they do battle. Semi-automatic Oh, it's like a Bakugan Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, Bakugan Yu-Gi-Oh. They battle hearts, and if you <laughs> if you beat someone's heart, you get to keep it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and when you're looking for love, you say, "I challenge." And this 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 whole universe will be created through an entirely instrumental intro. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, no words with a yeah. Kanye yeah. West style sort of just screaming and uh, hard synths. Are we allowed to put Kanye West in there? <laughs> no, we'll, we'll recreate a Kanye West inspired um, okay. vocal track. Okay, and then. Does it go instantly from this like electronic oh, world that's just into to create the universe. a very peaceful like acoustic guitar? Yeah. Or oh, both at the same time, whichever. Yeah. Cool. I think this is <laughs> somewhere. This is, this is, is start. This is it. Yeah. Um, we should probably like pick up some guitars. Try. Should I, well, we've got we've got like enough guitars for every person here. <laughs> <laughs> Except me, I'm going to bed with a book. <laughs> well, maybe Liam, you should get your your computer for the electronic. Oh, yeah, of course. Mark, you want in on this? No. 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 Nope. Nah, All right. You guys, you guys are good, man. Okay. Wait. So you showed me a riff earlier. And you promised that you wouldn't forget it. It was it was it was like this, wasn't it? It was just 
that, well, that's all I remember doing. Oh, that's uh, nice. Well, that's something. Oh, that's nice. That's loopable. Yeah, that is easily loopable. That's a very tiny laptop, Liam. Oh, I know. You, it was the cheapest one. It would be nice to have a part, a place where it changes would yeah. would be good, because all songs do that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I think it'd be cool if like you, maybe even ninety percent of the time or seventy five percent of the time, you do that repeated thing, and then it could just be like a real short change every once in a while or something like that. Could do that. <clears throat> strumming pattern though too. Yeah, yeah that's kind of it's it's easy to work with. What kind of tone are we sort of thinking? Like a more of a comedic tone or a, a, a serious tone about <coughs> actual sci-fi? What about something maybe something that Daft Punk would do, but not Daft Punk. Mm. Daft Punk with acoustic guitars. Yeah. Well, and what I feel like two robots do? falling in love. Oh that's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit more variation than, than it was before. Yeah. So, Harry, if this is a love song, what lyrics would you sing? <laughs> I've never written lyrics before. Um, my dad gave me some lyrics called Punching the Shark. What? <laughs> what is that? He just wrote a... Was it a poem or just I think something it, to put into a song? It was a poem, but he thought it would make, make a good song. Uh, and I can't find where the thing is. Guess I'm gonna need some paper then. Alright, I've got my first lyric down. Okay. Right. 
Life cold. Life cold. Mm. Is that an exact like lyric, or is that? It's like cold. It, you know, as a robot, you're very cold. Yes. Well, that's, that's true. <laughs> right. and, could, this could be, and this robot doesn't. This could be before he found his love. This this robot's life was cold. Yeah. Life cold, now hot. Life cold, now hot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Life cold. Uh, actually, I think, I think that needs further explanation. Life cold. Feelings. Solid. Existence in encased. Alumen, alum, aluminium, aluminium. Solid existence encased in an aluminium body. Solid existence in aluminium casing. We gotta dress. dress I like our, where this is going. Dress our words up. I didn't seem to set it up to rhyme, but it seems to work. <laughs> Maybe I can do that. Life cold, solid existence in aluminium fold. It could be the next sentence. It could be a life cold, solid existence in what aluminium casing. What uh, about light? Something, 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 something. Some chasing. Yeah, <laughs> chasing. What is this feeling that I am now chasing? That's good. Life cold, solid existence in aluminium casing. What is this feeling that I've been chasing? I am told. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's more of a passive. I'm. It could be just anything. It could be something about how this is a feeling that only humans eat. So I'm told that this is. I'm told that this is something that everyone is facing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Wait, firstly, how do you pronounce aluminium? I don't know. Aluminium. Aluminium. That's what I But I like. I mean, this aluminium. Casing. We're in Australia, so we can we have to say <laughs> aluminium. Aluminium. Just help you think. Wait, maybe just do the wait, loop. Wait, do the. Huh? That's kind of cool, though, actually. Changing your oh yeah like, chord that that variation you told me before instead you, of it's and it works with that the whole time oh oh man well that's cool. Liam, does that work with the yeah. lines, you think? Yeah, definitely. I was kind of thinking, with this kind of like, you know when they do those kind of folk songs, they'll play the melody, but they won't, and then they'll start singing. And then they'll play the mel- melody. They won't necessarily like, this could go like. But would, it, would the lyrics be sung at the same time? 
It could work like we start out together and then you keep going. Liam yeah. would start singing and I'd drop out. Let's try that. All right. Okay. That's a good sort of at least a concept, definitely. Yeah, I like that. Thanks, guys. That was really fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely was. Yeah, man. So Harry, you 
revealed to me earlier tonight that you're autistic. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have guessed that, I don't think, if I hadn't been thinking about it, because the last guy I interviewed was, is on the autism spectrum, too. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, like, you never know who's autistic, you know, like, but, you know, eventually you, you start to catch on, I guess, you, you spot uh, maybe things that might be maybe a, a bit more unusual <laughs> than most people. Subtle things, maybe. Sure. Like, one thing that you were kind of talking about that made me wonder about it for you was, like, wanting to be focused on one thing. And when we were talking, it was kind of like learning Japanese for you. Yeah. Music, too, to some extent. Yeah, well, uh, learning music theory and, like, sheet music and learning... Uh, Japanese, Chinese characters is... Sometimes I don't really find any difference in both processes. Well, and we were doing some ear training flashcards that you made that were like, we'd listen to an interval and try and identify it. And for you to learn that, you also have the names as Japanese characters of like Major Second. Oh, tritone. yeah. Tritone. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Getting uh, getting one thing you like to do and uh, and finding a way to connect it to something that you're trying to learn, uh, I think is a good idea because then learning starts to become fun. You know, it's it's not a chore anymore if you can find a way how to make things fun. Yeah, you know? we were also talking about like pleasure and pain. Oh uh, yeah, and <laughs> yes, and like how every action you have either will produce some level of pain or some level of pleasure. Yeah, well, that's all part of, like, the Tony Robbins that I like to listen to. and it, the, the speaker who gives a lot of, like, talks on self-improvement, that kind of thing? Yeah, right. it's a bit of a life-changer, really. Uh, you know, I don't want it to be, like, an, an advertisement for, you know, Tony Robbins, but, you know, the... They're all kind of connected. The, the the pain and pleasure thing is like a really kind of fundamental idea that that he teaches. That everything that drives human behavior is kind of like... It comes down to two things. Uh, people's desire to gain pleasure and their need to avoid pain. So like all your decisions like every day are kind of... They come down to those two things. It's really basic and fundamental, but you can learn a lot about how you how you make decisions, you know, if you're kind of aware of that simple concept. Mm-hmm. So, like, how, how would you apply it as a composer? Like, let's say you're trying to get through something that... Or just, like, get yourself motivated to do something that is not initially fun <laughs> but maybe we'll pay off once you get started yeah well i believe that every human being is capable of turning something that means pain to them into something that's pleasurable with music you could have like a a painful association to like bar chords because they're 
Because <laughs> in really physically hurting your well, hand. Yeah, they're physically painful and I suppose like emotionally painful too because like, you know, you might have tried to learn bar chords and had, you know, a few bad experiences but they dictate all future associations to it. So like when you think of stuff like that, you get a painful feeling, like fear. Mm-hmm. So how do you turn bar chords learning from pain to pleasure, do you think? Well, one one thing that I do remember is like you focus on how much pleasure you're going to get from learning them because like ultimately in the long run, being able to do certain things on the guitar is going to be more pleasurable in the in the long run than the short amount of time you'll spend learning it. But for for most people, like in that moment, the pain is much more real to them than the the fu- anything that's like in the future. What you focus on is kind of like it will manifest itself much more heavily than anything else. You know, while you're currently focusing on thinking it. You know. Yeah. I want to ask you the question chain question. Um, Lee Mason, who I interviewed last, was asking, was there a certain point in your life or a certain person who made you feel like, yes, I can do music? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to say Tony Robbins, but the thing is, like, I, before, like, I got into any, you know, self-help program, I was pretty confident, still am confident. I mean, it's it's really a matter, it's a, like, the art of kind of achieving something is, it's really simple, but, yeah, you first kind of have to, well, as long as you say that you can't do it, well, that's going to be the reality, isn't it? So, <laughs> just making a decision that you're going to do it, that's going to make it ten times more likely, you know? Yeah, uh, so it really has to be more internal thing i i get i guess so um i want to give a good answer (laughs) (laughs) so like i guess the well just like talking to you and your mom and stuff it sounds like school the school system was like not the answer for you right for as far as like traditional learning i guess so i mean when you're when you're like a a child or a, or a teenager, you don't really you don't really have any strategies that you can kind of fall back on. You kind of live live for the moment, and you can wind up like almost anywhere with that sort of system. So so I guess and for you it was develop- lots of video games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they they were fun, but you know you got to kind of you got to do something else eventually. Mm-hmm. I guess when I developed a system where, like, you, you figure out what you have to do, you know, you, you learn everything there is to do, and, well, the more you learn, too, you get strategies from that, you know? Like, they all get you closer to whatever music goal you've got. Um, the strategy for, for practice, you know, practicing more, like learning more about yourself like when you slack off and you know kind of spotting the behavior that spawns all that yeah yeah for me like 
I can figure out my pain points very easily when I'm working on something on my computer because I find myself like instantly clicking on Firefox to check email or Facebook. Yeah, same. And I just can't stop sometimes. Like, it's just so unconscious. I just like get to a point where I'm like, I don't know what to do. That going to revert to checking email. So I probably have to just catch myself in that moment and then be like, well, is it really too hard to figure out right now and just like push through that moment? Um, mm. Yeah. Well, might be going off topic a little bit, <laughs> but you know, people who who are addicted to, you know, substances and and who have obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, you could consider that a, an addiction. They, a lot of them do, you know, they do find a strategy that works and, you know, they, they can, they can use pain as a motivator and they can use pleasure as a motivator. Like use the two, you know, don't just beat yourself with a stick, you know, give yourself a reward as well. You know, like if you break your pattern on going into Firefox, I think as small as that is, you could probably reward yourself for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because every time you do, you kind of, you reinforce yourself in the, in the other direction. Mm -hmm. Well, Harry, what, what's your question for my next guest? Uh, how about, um, what's a musical project that you're on the verge of doing, but haven't started or completed because of, like, a painful association. Cool. <laughs> Good question. All right. Well, Harry, thanks so much for having me here, and best of luck to you with your future music endeavors. No worries. Yeah. It's, been, it's been good to have you. And that's one of the reasons why I can churn stuff out is because I don't have a problem with reusing or borrowing something that I heard. And I used to, because I thought it was not original, not creative. But I, I quickly found out that I am not original or creative. I can't make up a new thing. And I very much doubt in any ways that any of the people that I listen to were the first ones to think of a particular progression. So once you get over that, sounding good is easy. You can just borrow. Basically, let's just copy it and just do a little changey thing and pretend, you know, like it's yours. No one will know. Now can steal everything from the older generation and pretend like it's theirs. Ooh, it's kind of controversial. Is it? Obviously, chords and melodies, there's only so many different things you can do. Yeah, you don't want to push it. 
blatant about it. Be subtle. Like a sneaky thief in the night. So I'm here with Kucha Edwards, just outside of Melbourne. Uh, we're in a, in a suburb called uh, Preston, which is probably five, six suburbs heading north out of Melbourne. Why'd you uh, take me here, Kucha? Uh, I, I met Charlie at a, a place called the Victorian Aboriginal uh, Health Service, uh, one of the pioneer um, community organisations to service our people. Uh, Aboriginal people, we have always, uh, let's say, sat in a hospital and we're the last ones to be seen. Mm. Yet we are used as statistics in regards to funding and so forth. But uh, we're out here now at a place called Songlines Aboriginal Music uh, Corporation. Uh, and Songlines is, was created to uh, assist in getting our music out into mainstream Australia. And there's recording studios here, a community radio station here. Not many Aboriginal artists have ever really made it into the mainstream music industry here in Australia, unlike America where, I don't know if I'm allowed to say black musos are practically in control of the industry. But here it's a different kettle of fish. There is a closed door policy in Aboriginal people and black music here is somewhat not allowed through the door. And so uh, this organisation helps Aboriginal musos to at least get their music played on um, community radio. But we'll go inside, Charlie. Yeah. yeah. We'll cool. see who's here. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you coming in or what? Yeah. Amos Roach and Eben Roach. Charlie McCarran. Where, where are you from, Charlie? Minnesota. Minnesota. Oh, wow. A journalist from Minnesota. Well, yeah. Welcome to yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I don't know whether you've ever heard of Archie Roach. No, I haven't. But mm. And Ruby Hunter, his mother, Ruby Hunter, and his father, very famous Aboriginal musicians here. Oh, cool. Very, very famous. I'm just taking Charlie around. Right? Nice to meet you, Charlie. Yeah, nice to meet you. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. okay. So that section is the radio station. Mm-hmm. We're going up to Songlines. To Songlines? So this is kind of a jam area? Uh, yeah. There is a rehearsal space and a recording studio downstairs. But, um... Yeah, a lot of the bands rehearse in this this space upstairs. Would you guys mind introducing yourselves? Hi, um, I'm Amos. Amos Roach. George Thomas. Say your clans. No, say, start again. <laughs> say, say, your, say your people. Just say the... Um, Amos Roach. Kundirma... Uh, Nandiri Bandalang Anugo Pajara Kogada. Those Thomas Kunajamara were Adri Ganoi. Eben Rutsch. 
Nah, jadi kita berjumpa menjelang kira orang cap orang guna jemaah. See a lot of lot of lot of um, like I can speak on behalf of myself and but George's father. Back in when we started playing music, there was no funeral insurance back in those days, and a lot of bands were created to create shows known as cabarets. The community would pay money to get into the cabarets to listen to the bands play for three or four hours, and then the money created from those shows would go to bury our people. And so a lot of a lot of the bands that were created back in George's like George's dad was in a band called Hard Times, and then Archie and Ruby also started in bands to create to bury our to bury our people. And I started in a band called Wat Belimba and Blackfire to do the same thing. Hmm. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate it. So let's go in. Let's go in here. So Kucha, we're we're in the songlines office. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering, maybe you could explain what a songline is. Uh, to me, education, I believe, is retention of memory. And so all these parts of your life, are, you're absorbing all the information that, that comes into the iPad upstairs. And then when you, once you pose that question again, you pull it out of the file and out comes your answer. And all these things are posed and over the years and information is stored. Aboriginal people, we learn in a different way, we believe. We're learning even when we're in our mother's wombs and we're listening to the conversations when we're, when we're in our mother's wombs. Aboriginal people, we need to conceptualise that our existence is just not physical. Our existence on this place that is now, that is interpreted as Earth and all these different continents, uh, our existence is, is not 
physical on this place. Our existence is spiritual and we're connected to... I descend from the Mati Mati people and the Mati Mati people are southern caretakers of a place called Lake Mungo. And Lake Mungo is where they found skeletons carbon dated to... It was 80,000 years old. Hmm. So Mungo man and Mungo woman were taken. But I'm connected to those skeletons, DNA proven. There might have been 9,000 generations ago, but that doesn't make them any distant from me. They are me. A song line to us is, is our connection to more than just the physical. When we talk about a song line, it's not a, not just to, we're not just talking about songs that we sing. We're talking about the existence of the spirit. Because I read a song yesterday, my belief is that it's not just a day old. I'm interpreting my song line, my existence that is connected to Mungo Man, Mungo Woman. I believe every lyric that comes to me comes in all my languages that I'm connected to, but I interpret it into the common language of the here and now in English, and I'm writing about the oppression. I'm writing about all my clans, all my tribes, but not only all the pain and the suffering, but all the positive happenings that have happened in my life too. So. Well, I wanted to ask you about your project, mm. um, the song lines of a Mutty Mutty Man. Yeah, that, that was a... Um, I had been asked to create a theatre piece and this was posed to me. What can you remember? What's your first memory as a child? And so you go back into your... Again, the iPad upstairs and try and pull out, you know, what is it? What is my first memory? And you've got to go way, way, way back. Psychologists and psychiatrists reckon you can't go beyond three years. But they're not me. My first memory is me being in a wet nappy and I'm standing in a dark room. But I can remember the blinds pulled down in this room and there's light coming from behind the other side of the, the blinds. And I'm crying, I'm non-stop crying. I'm 18 months old. Not only am I wrenched from my mother and father's hands by authorities, I'm segregated from five other members of my family. They go to a children's home called Arana Methodist Children's Home and I'm sent by myself to Alambi Infant Reception Centre. And that's the first memory that I have. From that first opening memory, we go on to weave this narrative through uh, an hour and a half show and songs that I've written that align to that period in my life. And then you have my, my brothers and sisters remembering what they remember and slowly weaving the song line of a Mutty Mutty Man through, through this theatre piece. It got great accolades because there's, in theatre, there's what is known as the fourth war. But there was no acting because we're not actors. We're just remembering our past. 
Yeah. And it's confronting because you, you're trying to control a performance but along pains, along, along with memories come emotions, you know. And so you'd fall, you'd fall into these moments that I'm remembering whilst talking about it in the theatre show the first time I saw my mum, you know, when I'm six years old and the reality is that I was scared of it. But if I, do, I didn't do it, then that'd be one more piece of shit that's swept under the carpet and the carpet nailed down forever. They're the reasons why we write what we write, you know? So that our, not our stories are told, but our song line is, is remembered. When darkness is near Loneliness is what I fear Come, comfort me With evil thoughts at my door Too dark to ignore You give us light to see When I was 13 I got to go and live with my mum from 13 to 18 after being in the children's home for 11 years. And I go on to write this poem. It's the very first poem that I ever read. Trickling down the waterfall, freely one by one, forming into clouds of spray glistening in the sun. Crashing to disaster, my water drop is done left the short life of loneliness and gathered back as one. The poem is called My Favourite Drop. I am that one drop of water. I was born Glenn Gordon James Edwards of my mother and father, ninth youngest. I, I understood that I was part of this, this river being separated from my mum and dad, wrenched from them, that's falling over the cliff, trickling down the waterfall freely one by one. And then I become this entity, this one entity, Kutcher. I gave myself that name at age 13. Hmm. What does that mean? Kutcher means one. Why did that name come to me? I don't know. So that poem, did, did you ever use that in a song? It's beautiful. Uh, to me, it, it is. It's prophetic. I would never have thought that I would go on to be a singer-songwriter. I had the opportunity to play AFL, do you know what I mean, as an 18-year-old. Oh. Yeah. Life deals you a deck of cards that sometimes you're not ready to play. And that's what happened to me. And I would go on to join Aboriginal bands that would, you know, really aggressive, lyrically motivated songs, do you know what I mean? Uh, about land rights and give us our land back. And we found ourselves sort of 
paddling against the current. Times you can go to the well, just so many lies a usurper can tell. I will bear my soul for I've much more to gain. You can knock me off my feet, I will get back up again. Get back up again. Get back so, again. Kucha, um, on my podcast, I have a question chain going from guest to guest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my previous guest, Harry Gibson, mm-hmm. asked, is there a project that you haven't finished because of too many negative associations or, like, mental is pain it, around it? There are, yeah, there are a lot of instances or occasions where you're daunted by... Yeah, the negative interpretations of not only me as an individual, but of what we represent. I'm talking about Aboriginal people. Like even on Sunday, I had to do a presentation of my songline to a new congregation. And you would think that you'd be safe and in, in a church. But there are elements of the congregation who didn't agree with what I had to say or had to impart. And that's sad. And I asked the person who needed... And I honour people who impart what it is that they need to impart because if their conscience is playing away at them, that's, that's a good thing because they're challenging the stereotypes and what they've been taught or what they've learnt. Yeah, you need to learn how to be a racist. You're not born a racist. And so people question the validity of what I have to say. And I asked him, I said, are you threatened by what I have to say? And he said, no, I'm threatened by the 12,000 Syrians that are coming here to Australia. And uh, that's a sad world in which we live in, if an Aboriginal person poses the question and the answer is his mind is shifting to 12,000 Syrians that are coming here. And that's what we're dealing with in this country, Charlie. And that's the hypocrisy and that's what I want to... My job is to not be liked. My job is to drop pebbles in ponds and hopefully the ripple will make it... See, if I talk at a school to 500 students, undoubtedly they're not all going to agree with what I have to impart, but I would suggest that 95 to 98 to 99% of them will go home that evening and have the conversation with their parents where I can't go. And that's my job, whether it be through through talking about my existence or singing my song line, singing about my existence. And that's what I'll endeavour to do for the rest of my life. That's great. Yeah, cool. So do you have a question for my next guest? Can they find out, wherever it is, the traditional custodians of the place 
in which the question will be posed. Get them to find out who the traditional peoples are. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, All right, buddy. Yeah, thanks so much, Kucha. over to another radio station right now because you're going to show me a little bit of this radio show that you used to do. I still do it. It's a show called Beyond the Bars. I got asked many, many moons ago if I'd be interested in um, going out to a uh, maximum security jail and um, asked if I'd be interested in uh, doing a show live from within the prison. The inmates are not allowed to give their last name and they're not allowed to talk about why they're incarcerated. All they can really talk about is what it's like to be in the system. And, and just because they've done something wrong to society doesn't mean we ignore them. They're yeah. still a part of our community, even though they're locked up. And it's our job to connect them, you know? Yeah. And you were saying that a lot of them are musicians. A lot of them are musicians and, and play music. And a lot of them, you know, great poets, great painters, great artists. We stand on sacred ground. Stop and listen to the... fathers, some of them are grandparents, brothers, you know, nephews. They're all connected to somebody and um, that's what we try and create in these shows is that fair enough they've done something wrong to society but we still love them. They're yeah. still part of our family. And, so, But they're not forgotten, you know. Yeah. What's been the most memorable like music moment in that project? I, it was actually outside the project. I got some funding off the state government to do a, a Victorian tour to a lot of the jails that I've done beyond the bars, the projects in. And I was doing a show in Fulham Prison and I, um, I started singing a song, one of my songs that I had written, uh, Stand Strong. And then I could um, sense that a nephew... Not a nephew biologically, but younger Aboriginal people. As a mark of respect, they call you uncle in respect. So this young fellow, he, he was singing every lyric. 
of this song. And he said, it's one of my favourites, Uncle Kutcher. I said, come up and sing it with me. So the nephew started singing this song and I was moved to tears. I, I just, I was stunned that, it, that this song had made its mark on this young boy. And that's the purpose of why you write what it is that you write. Not for your own self-gratification, but in the, in the hope that somebody else lives through that lyric and understands that lyric and the reasons behind that lyric. I don't know whether you understand what chroming is. Do you know what chroming is? No. It's when a youth, a young fella, they get an aerosol can, spray can of paint, and they spray it into a freezer bag and they sniff the bag and they get a high from it. I have a lot of family members who were delving into that, nieces and nephews, and and I, I felt helpless. I couldn't cuddle and nurture all my nephews and nieces who were doing this. But I wanted to let them know how much that I personally loved them. And that's why I writ Stand Strong. So much sorrow Heartache we have As we comfort our children When they shed a tear We must stand strong, stand strong When your back's against the wall Gotta look deep within yourself Gotta rise above it all When no one's there to comfort you I thought of another thing to ask you about. Yeah. Um, so, my next stop is going to be Taipei, Taiwan. Yeah. And you've been there? I've, um, been, I've been to Taipei in 1997. It was for a uh, performance, and uh, we went for a swim in the pool on the top floor of the Grand Hyatt in Taipei, dived in the water, and then under the water music was playing. Do you know what it was? Celine Dion. Oh. <laughs> we quickly got out. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, so, um, do you have advice for me? Um, that, that was a, like almost 20 years ago, but... I'll give you some uh, words of advice. Ni hao. Ni hao is hello. Oh. In Chinese. I don't know if... Uh, Taiwanese, uh, I think they're still trying to become independent from China. But um, ni hao means hello. Ni hao ma. Hello, how are you? Ni hao. Ni hao. All right. Yeah. I have a lot to learn in, yeah, on the yeah. plane ride over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I learned a song in Chinese. Uh, yeah? A song called Pang Yo. And Pang Yo in Chinese is our friend and uh, I learned uh, it from a famous Chinese or Australian actor here in in uh, Australia called uh, Yang Li but in China his name is Li Yang and uh, he taught me how to sing this song it's called Pang Yo Pang Yo a Pang Yo 
你哭着想起了我。如果你将唱小幸福，请你告诉我，朋友啊朋友，你哭着想起了我。如果你将唱小不幸，请你告诉我，朋友啊朋友。你哭唱起了我，如果你有心的，你有心的必然，请你离开我，离开我，朋友。And I'll tell you what, I get a lot of free food at Chinese restaurants when I sing that, because the、uh, cooks. And all the workers at all the Chinese restaurants I've sung that at all come out, and they go xie xie, which which is thank you in Chinese, and hen hao, hen hao means、uh, I ask them, is it very good? And they go hen hao, very good. So I get a lot of free free food, not only in Australia but around the world for that, Charlie. So all right, maybe you should learn how to <laughs> sing it, buddy. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, have fun in、uh, in Taipei. Thank you. Yeah, I will. Well, Harry, we are just coming back from a pretty long walk here. Where did we get? Where did we get to? Well, we went along、uh, Woolies Road where I live. Went on a boardwalk. Went to Hastings, and now we're walking back the other way. Yeah. Harry and I were just talking about how I'm gonna end the podcast. Like what's going to happen in the final episode,、uh, and I'm going to keep that a mystery for now. But Harry was throwing some ideas out there, like such as,、uh, you know, you could could end on a cliffhanger. You could,、um, you know, you could. I could say that I'm. I well, this is the final Charlie's music production lesson, and guess what, guys? I was tricking you the whole time because. I actually know all the answers. I know the answer to making the best song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll just have to keep listening till the end of the show, and find out. As we were talking about, like how to end the podcast, you, your true music nerd, showed through, and and you started mentioning cadences, and like, is it going to be a deceptive cadence? Uh, Or a perfect, authentic cadence, whatever that means. I totally forgot from music theory classes, but you know that's like the most solid one. Or is it going to be some other kind of cadence?、Um, uh, a Charlie cadence. The Charlie cadence. Yeah. Okay. We'll call it the Charlie cadence. It's it's all our own thing. Yeah. <laughs> you also mentioned this idea of like relating it to like a. A video game or something like when you're thinking about 
using cadences and yeah like uh you know thinking of all the different cadences and and levels of tension and release as like resources things that you can use to get to a journey like imagining that all the cadences are like food items you have to make them last somehow yeah <laughs> i haven't really thought that far ahead well i like that idea because maybe you could maybe that could be a song challenge that someone could do it's like here <laughs> you give them this certain amount of chords and then how far can you get with it before people get bored or turned off or something yeah well i i heard you know in the classroom they say you can only focus for like 15 15 minutes without you know without doing something hands-on so maybe you could maybe there's something similar with music scientifically there's only like a a certain amount of time you can have before something has to change otherwise someone's mind will just turn off yeah examples of that are in you know all the best music i think just have to kind of research your favorite artist or something like that there's a song that a song you like and just see where where the person decided to change it yeah you know when the song had to change when the thing had to just you know release itself and go somewhere else yeah and just like what we're doing now you know yeah going on a long walk has to change at some point yeah and our conversation is broken up by all these cars on the road yeah we got to cross the road while we have this microphone out so you know this is this could be the end right right here <laughs> the end of the show the end of the show the charlie cadence the charlie yeah cut short by a car we weren't watching out for <laughs> well on that note um i guess we should uh wrap up this episode uh, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Yeah, likewise, man. Yeah. Um, and I should also give a shout-out to my Aunt Margie. Thanks, Margie, for helping with Kickstarter. Thanks, Harry. Yeah, thanks, Margie. <laughs> and until next time, when I'm in Taiwan. Take this vow to never lie to you I am blessed just to see you smile Every once in a while For I would walk that lonely mile Just to be with you Time doesn't stop for anyone 
so many years yet to come As I look back on what I've done I'm reminded of you 